Hello and welcome to Metaphors of EdTech, a podcast by me, Martin Weller. In this podcast, I talk about metaphors of educational technology. There's an accompanying book published by Athabasca University Press, which you can check out. It's free to download or you can buy the print copy. And in each episode notes, I'll put links to interesting articles or things that are relevant. So check those out. Now, on with the episode. Hi, and welcome to this episode of Metaphors of EdTech. And uh, this week, I've got a lovely guest again, my second guest. They're just racking up now. I'll soon have the sponsorship rolling in. So uh, my guest is a good friend of mine. Uh, we've just spent a, a lovely time in Inverness at OER 23. So I'll allow them to introduce themselves. So over to you, Eamon. Say hello. Hello, Martin. My name is uh, Eamon Costello. I'm an associate professor of digital learning in Dublin City University, and just generally a fellow suffering being trying to make his way through this world. <laughs> cool. Uh, I really enjoyed your presentations at OER 23, your, your gastro in particular. You, you you went hard for it. It was great. Uh, one <laughs> of the things that, um, in, in those presentations I heard you talk about was that you've been using metaphors uh, in some of your teaching and uh, indeed even this podcast, I think. So I wondered if you wanted to sort of just talk us through how, how, how you've been using them and what, why you think they're a, a useful way to go about thinking sure sure and um, i need to ask you a question first martin do you know what oxycontin is no no you know what ed tech is yeah yeah okay so you don't know what the oxycontin of ed tech is no go on and hit me metaphors okay so what's the definition of oxycontin oxycontin you'll have to watch you'll have to watch dope sick on netflix it's okay a, it's, uh, <laughs> It's a drug with codeine in it that they got people hooked on, big pharma in the States. I see. And I think we need to use metaphors on metaphors, you know. <laughs> and I think of you as the kind of big pharma of metaphors, you know. You've got big books of this stuff and podcasts <laughs> and everything. It's all licensed. It's all legit. It's creative commons. So that's very helpful. So I can use it in my teaching, uh, which I have been doing, using it with some of my students in, in different classes. And um I'm just kind of a street level dealer. I'm just scrabbling a few yeah, metaphors yeah. together. <laughs> just, just dishing them out outside school gate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and the Via Lee's one you mentioned on your pod, on the pod uh, with Tom Farley and Enda Don, and that was, uh, that was, they're kind of part of my, my crew, you know, we're trying to get a cartel to go, go. Yeah. Okay. But, and the stuff is addictive metaphors, you know, once you start seeing it, it's, it's everywhere. Uh, but I, I had nowhere else to go, so I started using it on my students at this stage, right? Started to see what I get my students hooked on the metaphors, <laughs> and they're just free based on reality at the moment, you know. They're like they're just <laughs> so uh but I had Tom give a guest lecture uh and that was really good. And we asked students to um come up with their own metaphors. We gave them some examples. I had them listen to some of your podcasts, which was wonderful too. Uh, because I have a listening list, actually, podcasts, another thing I've been using this year, students just don't have time to read. Mm. Uh, so any and all uh, tactics to get them to, um, you know, engage with some content out of class is, is my main thing. So I give them a listening list and um, some of your metaphor stuff is on there as well. So it's great. Um, uh, I really like, I think you said you, you give them podcasts to listen to and you get them to walk around the street as, as they're, Sort of listening to them, yeah. Well, that's, that's whether, interesting that kind of idea of being both embedded in your current environment and sort of having you know, taken in your content while you're doing it. I thought it was a really interesting idea. 
yeah it's nice I've, I've done that a little bit we go for a walk and we have a have a listen to to a podcast during class instead of me just talking at them you know mm. um and there's so little time in in curriculums to actually read or to listen to stuff it's usually me talking or them doing activities um there's an interesting metaphor there's a paper by anna sparred uh on two metaphors for learning and the danger of choosing just one Right, so okay. she obviously knows like drugs, you know, so she, she was on to this. Uh, I think that was from 1998 or something. Uh, but she has two metaphors, the acquisition and the participation metaphors. Which aren't great metaphors, to be honest, they're kind of thin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the acquisition metaphor was best captured by Paolo Ferreira with his banking concept, which is very good, which yeah. is really rich kind of metaphor for, for the acquisition but I found this with students when I'm using metaphors and trying to get them to use metaphors. Some of them really don't don't get it. You know, they yeah, kind of yeah. they uh, they find it really hard to come up with a metaphor or to kind of it. Um, and it's kind of like you say, this one, be creative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Go and be creative now. It's often not, doesn't work. Yeah. yeah, be creative now. Yeah, uh, and so that was that was kind of uh interesting because you're trying to get get a balance of um what's possible with students or but even in a sense even if we didn't fully manage it all the time i think it helped make alive the idea to them that life is full of metaphors and kind of mm. double speak and the language yeah. of of these digital environments are have this coding in them and stuff I wonder um, if you said they sort of, some students struggled with it. I wonder if that's because with metaphors, there's obviously no right answer. It's not like, aha, you found the correct metaphor. It's like all metaphors, <laughs> well, I wouldn't say they're all valid, but some are kind of richer than others, but there's probably bits in all of them. So whether it's that, we, you know, that way we've sort of enculturated lots of students into thinking there is a right answer, which goes a bit to uh, Dave Cormier's keynote at OER 23 as well, you know, this idea that well, there aren't really right answers to these things. And I think, Maybe that's why they felt uncomfortable with metaphors. It's like, well, what are you looking for? They kind of they can't pre-guess what it is that you're looking for in a way. Yeah, I think so. And also, there's probably some kind of a, a charade to the whole thing. I spent I could spend lots of time dreaming up metaphors. It could take me a month to come up with a good metaphor, <laughs> but I'm putting them on the spot, you know. Yeah. Uh, uh, but it's a nice way as well. What I have found is, and a kind of lower key one that works really well is memes. It's kind mm-hmm. of related. So I guess you to generate a meme and they go on to an ordinary meme site. And Virginia Lissida Clinton was at the OER Conf- 23 conference. Yeah. And I'm a big fan of her. She does lots of cool stuff with social media online, uh, both herself and with her students. But um, so we did this. And one of the nice things about using metaphors or memes that I found with students is Every now and again, I learn something about them that I didn't know that they wouldn't tell me explicitly. Either it could be their cultural reference, I find about what's going on, but they can also tell me stuff. Like one time, half the class were off drinking. It was Thursday afternoon. They all went to the pub mm-hmm. and the other class didn't want to dub them in, you know. <laughs> but when we were doing the metaphors, they did put it in. There was this like superheroes pressing these two buttons. Which button do you press in this meme? <laughs> oh, yeah. And they said, will I, will I go for pranks or will I go to the lecture? I was like, that's where they all are. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. No, I think that you're right actually they they reveal a lot about the the creator of the the metaphor as well don't they I think it's, I think that's 
that's quite uh, I haven't really covered that. I've just done a podcast about the the downsides of metaphors, and I think I didn't really mm. cover that. In some ways, you might be exposing some things about yourself you don't you don't realise when when you create a metaphor. That's an interesting point. Yeah. So I think mm. I, I, it's been good to hear how you're using them, and I think that's really playful stuff you're doing there. Um, and I thought in the next part we might talk about uh, some of the interesting stuff we've been doing about speculative fiction. Sure. So that was really interesting to hear about how yes. you've been using uh, metaphors in, in teaching. Uh, and some of the work I see you do and give you, you give talks about uh, that's also interesting is around this use of, I think, uh, speculative fiction is, is the term. Um, and I think that's really interesting because in some ways that's the other side of the coin to metaphors. Um, there's an article I read where uh, this person was proposing that there are two basic ways to come to understanding a topic. It's either through the use of narrative or history stories or through the use of metaphor. Uh, and they were suggesting that certain disciplines are dominated by one mode or another. Um, so I thought your use of speculative fiction to me might be a, a companion piece, if you like, to uh, to the use of metaphors. In, in the same way, my, I think my 25 years of ed tech book was a, was the flip side to the metaphors book. But I think your, whereas that was looking backwards, your speculative fiction is, is a way of thinking about the future. So I wondered if you want to just, first of all, take us through what speculative fiction is and then maybe how you think it relates to metaphors well i guess metaphors are just a starter drug martin right, <laughs> That's right. Okay, so. <laughs> uh but they and you can obviously have metaphors in a story so it can be a, mm -hmm. a storytelling can be, can be a superset fiction can be a superset of, of of metaphors um and there's kind of um you could say that storytelling is very powerful and important we have this inbuilt capacity for it we have this narrative going along all the time of our own selves you know the yeah. the, the radio station of the narrative self uh it's playing my favorite song what about me uh <laughs> but we're always constructing uh reality and creating this kind of logic um and this is a, a nice way to i have a degree in english from, from a, a my sordid past you know and i'm interested in i was reading your um or listen you were in your blog about the judge dread comic which is great <laughs> and i'm really i really love comics and science fiction all this yeah. stuff so i'm trying to bring some of this into my scholarship as well because there's a lot of really interesting work being done on this um and i was thinking of different metaphors as well i've given you the one about the oxycontin right and there's another metaphor, which is you, you've started introducing the war metaphor now, which um, I'm going to say you're the the Lockheed Martin Weller of the metaphorical <laughs> industrial complex. OK, and I'm just a guy with some water balloons. But when it comes to stories, I have more power. Right. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to give you a kinder metaphor as well, because I'm interested in kindness in storytelling. Yeah, yeah. And that is that. Have you seen the movie The Martian? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So you're Martian Weller, okay? <laughs> okay? Because your story is quite inspiring because you're out there rewilding stuff, right? 
you're out there terraforming. You're you're writing a book on like VLEs or something, and then you're like, no, I'm not the VLE guy. I'm, I'm the net guy. That sounds very Sandra Bullock, the net. And then you're you know digital scholar and all these things. And you're um, it's inspiring to me because you're out forging new territory. You're trying new things, and you're you're uh, navigating your own path. And I wrote about this recently in an article uh, myself, and it was it used some metaphors in it, like rewilding. Mm-hmm. And I've used this a couple of times in speculative storytelling, because that's quite important to me. This this idea of um, kind of rewilding as a as a concept, um, and seeing where this could take us and what it could do. Now it's kind of interesting because you've you've talked about rewilding, and others have in terms of um, kind of technologies and techno- technological ecosystems, if you like, ed tech yeah, ecosystems. Within an institution, yeah, that's right. Yeah, so, and it's like, is it that you can get like a kind of invasive species or something like this, or it's um, it's about having... It's kind of trying to exactly move, move, move away from a kind of monoculture, the kind of VLE monoculture yes. that we've kind of created and yeah. allow, allow other sprout, uh, other things to shoot up and, you know, things to come back yeah. again and maybe reintroduce some some apex predators i'm not sure that works but maybe, maybe. <laughs> Billy salmon has a Billy salmon has a paper on she has a thing she's written a thing actually on keystone species mm-hmm. in the v the VLE, i think is a keystone species a keystone species mm-hmm. uh, and there's a rich landscape of of eco stuff but i think with a story you can really go a long way and you can stretch a metaphor much longer and you can really get out into some, mm-hmm. some conceptual wilds let's say and there's a paper on metaphors as well by Tuck and Yang that's quite influential in the decolonization literature. It's called Colonization is Not a Metaphor. Right. And it's 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 about kind of race in North America and indigenous scholars. And she's kind of quite angry and saying, This sounds great, this decolonization stuff, but like there's actually indigenous people who've been kind of killed and you know yeah. taken off land and stuff here, and it's very real to us. And I sometimes feel a bit like that with the rewilding metaphor. I feel yeah, such a deep connection to nature and to trees and plants and animals. And I, I really saddens me so much when it's being destroyed, you know, habitats and things. So I kind of feel sometimes we're sort of co-opting these metaphors or you know appropriating them in some ways but i did write about this uh so one of the things i was writing about with this rewriting metaphor was a quite radical kind of way that of universities being rewilded because Mm. they're kind of sites of um often a lot of building (laughs) there's new buildings going up you know new edifices to vice chancellors or provosts or whatever it is um and car parks and all this kind of stuff so i've used this a little bit and the last speculative thing i wrote the kind of more longer substantive piece was about um this character who lives in the university and he uh is doing grand and then he he's doing fine as we would say in ireland (laughs) and then he's trying to get promoted and the university tells him he needs to get a wife, right? And it said, don't worry, we'll provide you with a wife. Don't worry, it's all, <laughs> he'll do this. Yeah, and he gets a bit worried because the perks aren't exactly fantastic in his job. 
but he his fears were unfounded because she turns out to be fantastic and really beautiful and lovely and have these lovely kids with this university wife that is all the NDA so he can't know anything about where she came from or where she works or stuff like this she works in this ed tech company called compel you um, and that's a bit of an easter egg because that was the presentation at the OER 22 conference I remember that yes yeah Knight and Keynes about the, this proctoring uh, software. It's a lovely kind of design fiction thing, a really great kind of storytelling advice that they had, which inspired me. Uh, so that all goes fine. And then his kind of his his marriage kind of falls apart after a bit, and he um leaves the university starts to fall apart as well. He falls apart, the whole thing is coming. Uh everything's been rewilded. But at the end of it, he's kind of on his own and he kind of uh, rediscovers himself if you like or um, uh, kind of when everything falls away he kind of has some self-realization or whatever it might be mm -hmm. and it's also about two men it's about two men just at the heart of the story so it's, it's not going to win any Bletchtel pass any Bletchtel <laughs> tests yeah. uh, but I kind of thought well this is all I can write about I can write about myself my own yeah. kind of relationship you know troubles that I have and the kind of go through work through and my own relationship with men and women it's kind of mostly about me essentially so it's a cheap a cheap form of therapy Martin really yeah yeah well <laughs> I, I thought could I write about <laughs> could I write about myself and get away with it <laughs> yeah but I think it's true isn't it like, and I think both in terms of how you talk about fiction but also uh, one of the claims I make in the book about metaphors is there a way of I think kind of humanizing our relationship with technology um, and I think by you know, writing stories that you know you inevitably put people into and there's always going to be some kind of autobiographical element there I think that helps to humanize that element as well yeah I I, I really think that there was another thing I, I wrote recently with a bunch of learning designers and I had its genesis in a learning designer, super nice guy from the States who was looking for work during the pandemic. And I hadn't done any work for him, but he was looking at job advertisements for learning design roles. And I said, let's do analysis of some job advertisements, do some research on it. And we had a kind of corpus together. And I was like, this isn't that inspiring. It's not that many of them. I don't think it's publishable. And then I thought, what about the people who are going to work in these jobs, in these roles? How could we humanize them? Because it's just a set of disembodied skills, these job averages. Yeah, you yeah. will do this. And I was thinking, that's not the reality. It's like the reality in higher ed is much more complex. It's both more lovely and more terrifying <laughs> than these job adverts we're making out. So I wrote some persona of learning designers. And one of them was actually, she, she had a superpower of rewilding the university. That was her kind of job, her thing. And there was kind of slightly toxic environments and there was lots of kind of passive aggressive characters in there, you know. Uh, Not based on any real characters. No, it was completely <laughs> fictitious. It was completely. Uh, and then I had some learning designers read the, read the fictions and see how it resonated with them, kind of validate or, yeah. uh, or otherwise the stories that way. And they contributed to the conclusion of it. And we had some nice, um, my colleague Lou did some lovely, uh, pictures in it as well so oh, that's lovely. That, that sounds really cool thanks well thanks Simon. Uh, just before we go uh, a couple things for me so first of all I think um, you write about you mentioned the danger I think of appropriation with metaphors I think I'm, I'm mm. very wary of that and I, I talked about that in a previous podcast about the dangerous metaphors I think there's a real danger in it being a kind of a, uh, a dilettante just going I'm going to pick a bit here pick a bit there and you're kind of just you know, 
taken from things like kind of quite rich cultures. I think that that's definitely a something you need to be wary of. I think. Um, and mm. you, you mentioned the Martian and kindness. Mm. Uh, have you read uh, Andy Weir's follow-up book, Project Hail Mary? It's a lovely book full of kindness that we, he gets to work with an alien. It's really good. It's a great. Ah. Book. So if you, if, you, if you like kindness, science fiction, go for that. So uh, before we finish, any more thoughts on on metaphors and tech that you want to share? Um, no, I don't think so. I'm just uh, looking forward to going out there and terraforming new planets. You know? <laughs> Good for it. <laughs> and we'll put some of those links into the uh, show notes. Good references there, so thanks. So thanks, Simon. Uh, look forward to seeing you again sometime and uh, hope people enjoy the podcast. Thanks, Martin. Thanks for listening to Metaphors of EdTech. Remember to subscribe if this is your bag uh, and also check the episode notes for any useful links and fun things there. Thank you.